story with me Love who you want to be, who you are Learn these lessons and we'll go far It's story time Story time Story time with Mama G Hello everybody and welcome to Story Time with Mama G The podcast It is I, Mama G, here to tickle your earlobes with my words and those of one of our greatest authors, Oscar Wilde. When I say one of our, I don't know who I'm referring to because he's not British, he's Irish. So I might be referring to us as a world, as a global nation. Oscar Wilde is, of course, one of our greatest writers. Uh, Lots of other people are also one of our greatest writers off the top of my head. I might include uh, John Steinbeck from America. I might include John Steinbeck. I might include other other writers from other countries whose whose names have, have left my mind. But for now, the story's The Canterville Ghost. It's by Oscar Wilde, so it seems pertinent to this particular situation that I would describe him as one of our greatest authors. Anyway, I don't quite know where that train of thought was going. Sorry that I made you listen to it. But I do hope you enjoy the story. Before I tell you the story, of course, I should remind you that you can find me on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube. All you need to do is search for at Stories, and you can follow my own wonderful adventures. And we are heading into the Christmas week and my goodness... Do I have some Christmas treats for you? I am very excited, including, I should just say, I will be releasing this podcast a day early on a Thursday. Isn't that sweet of me? For Christmas Eve, so that you've got something festive to listen to in the run-up to the big day itself. And there's going to be something very exciting on that podcast. In fact, maybe even a couple of exciting things on that podcast. But now, to the matter in hand, the most exciting thing right here, right now, uh, chapter four of Oscar Wilde's The Canterville Ghost. The next day, the ghost was very weak and tired. The terrible excitement of the last four weeks was beginning to have its effect. His nerves were completely shattered, and he started at the slightest noise. For five days he kept his room, and at last made up his mind to give up the point of the bloodstain on the library floor. If the Otis family did not want it, they clearly did not deserve it. They were evidently people on a low material plane of existence and quite incapable of appreciating the symbolic value of sensuous phenomena. The question of phantasmic apparitions and the development of astral bodies was, of course, quite a different matter and really not under his control. It was his solemn duty to appear in the corridor once a week and to gibber from the large oriel window on the first and third Wednesdays in every month, 
and he did not see how he could honourably escape from his obligations. It is quite true that his life had been very evil, but, upon the other hand, he was most conscientious in all things connected with the supernatural. For the next three Saturdays, accordingly, he traversed the corridor as usual between midnight and three o'clock, taking every possible precaution against being either heard or seen. He removed his boots, trod as lightly as possible on the old worm-eaten boards, wore a large black velvet cloak, and was careful to use the rising sun lubricator for oiling his chains. I am bound to acknowledge that it was with a good deal of difficulty that he brought himself to adopt this last mode of protection. However, one night, while the family were at dinner, he slipped into Mr. Otis's bedroom and carried off the bottle. He felt a little humiliated at first, but afterwards was sensible enough to see that there was a great deal to be said for the invention, and, to a certain degree, it served his purpose. Still, in spite of everything, he was not left unmolested. Strings were continually being stretched across the corridor, over which he tripped in the dark, and on one occasion, well dressed for the part of the Huntsman of Hogley Woods, he met with a severe fall through treading on a butter slide, which the twins had constructed from the entrance of the tapestry chamber to the top of the oak staircase. This last insult so enraged him that he resolved to make one final effort to assert his dignity and social position, and determined to visit the insolent young Otonians the next night in his celebrated character of Reckless Rupert or the Headless Earl. He had not appeared in this disguise for more than seventy years. In fact, not since he had so frightened pretty Lady Barbara Modish by means of it that she suddenly broke off her engagement with the present Lord Canterville's grandfather and ran away to Gretna Green with handsome Jack Castleton, declaring that nothing in the world would induce her to marry into a family that allowed such a horrible phantom to walk up and down the terrace at twilight. Poor Jack was afterwards shot in a duel by Lord Canterville on Wandsworth Common, and Lady Barbara died of a broken heart at Tunbridge Wells before the year was out. So in every way, it had been a great success. It was, however, an extremely difficult make-up. If I may use such a theatrical expression in connection with one of the greatest mysteries of the supernatural, or, to employ a more scientific term, the higher natural world, and it took him fully three hours to make his preparations. At last, everything was ready, and he was very pleased with his appearance. The big leather riding boots that went with the dress were just a little too large for him, and he could only find one of the two horse pistols, but, on the whole, he was quite satisfied. And at a quarter past one, he glided out of the wainscoting and crept down the corridor. On reaching the room occupied by the twins, which I should mention was called the Blue Bedchamber on account of the colour of its hangings, he found the door just ajar. 
Wishing to make an effective entrance, he flung it wide open, when a heavy jug of water fell right down on him, wetting him to the skin and just missing his left shoulder by a couple of inches. At the same moment, he heard stifled shrieks of laughter proceeding from the four-post bed. The shock to his nervous system was so great that he fled back to his room as hard as he could go, and the next day he was laid up with a severe cold. The only thing that at all consoled him in the whole affair was the fact that he had not brought his head with him, for, had he done so, the consequences might have been very serious. He now gave up all hope of ever frightening this rude American family, and contented himself, as a rule, with creeping about the passages in list slippers, with a thick red muffler round his throat for fear of draughts, and a small arquebus in case he should be attacked by the twins. The final blow he received occurred on the 19th of September. He had gone downstairs to the great entrance hall, feeling sure that there, at any rate, he would be quite unmolested and was amusing himself by making satirical remarks on the large Sarony photographs of the United States minister and his wife, which had now taken the place of the Canterville family pictures. He was simply but neatly clad in a long shroud, spotted with churchyard mould, had tied up his jaw with a strip of yellow linen, and carried a small lantern and a sexton's spade. In fact, he was dressed for the character of Jonas the Graveless, or the corpse snatcher of Chertsey Barn, one of his most remarkable impersonations, and one which the Cantervilles had every reason to remember, as it was the real origin of the quarrel with their neighbour, Lord Rufford. It was about a quarter past two o'clock in the morning, and as far as he could ascertain, no one was stirring. As he was strolling towards the library, however, to see if there were any traces left of the bloodstain, suddenly there leapt out on him from a dark corner two figures who waved their arms wildly above their heads and shrieked out, Boo! in his ear. Seized with a panic, which, under the circumstances, was only natural, he rushed for the staircase, but found Washington Otis waiting for him there with the big garden syringe, and being thus hemmed in by his enemies on every side and driven almost to bay, he vanished into the great iron stove, which, fortunately for him, was not lit, and had to make his way home through the flues and chimneys, arriving at his own room in a terrible state of dirt, disorder, and despair. After this, he was not seen again on any nocturnal expedition. The twins lay in wait for him on several occasions and strewed the passages with nutshells every night to the great annoyance of their parents and the servants, but it was of no avail. It was quite evident that his feelings were so wounded that he would not appear. Mr Otis consequently resumed his great work on the history of the Democratic Party, on which he had been engaged for some years. Mrs. Otis organised a wonderful clam bake which amazed the whole county. The boys took the lacrosse, euchre, poker and other American national games, and Virginia rode about the lanes on her pony, accompanied by the young Duke of Cheshire, who had come to spend the last week of the holidays at Canterville Chase.
It was generally assumed that the ghost had gone away, and, in fact, Mr Otis wrote a letter to that effect to Lord Canterville, who, in reply, expressed his great pleasure at the news and sent his best congratulations to the minister's worthy wife. The Otises, however, were deceived, for the ghost was still in the house, and though now almost an invalid, was by no means ready to let matters rest, particularly as he heard that among the guests was the young Duke of Cheshire, whose grand-uncle, Lord Francis Stilton, had once bet a hundred guineas with Colonel Carberry that he would play dice with the Canterville ghost, and was found the next morning lying on the floor of the card-room in such a helpless paralytic state that, though he lived on to a great age, he was never able to say anything again but double sixes. The story was well known at the time, though, of course, out of respect to the feelings of the two noble families, every attempt was made to hush it up, and a full account of all the circumstances connected with it will be found in the third volume of Lord Tattle's Recollections of the Prince Regent and His Friends. The ghost, then, was naturally very anxious to show that he had not lost his influence over the Stiltons, with whom, indeed, he was distantly connected, his own first cousin having been married a second time to the Sieur de Bulkley, from whom, as everyone knows, the Dukes of Cheshire are lineally descended. Accordingly, he made arrangements for appearing to Virginia's little lover in his celebrated impersonation of the Vampire Monk or the bloodless Benedictine, a performance so horrible that when old lady Startup saw it, which she did on one fatal New Year's Eve in the year 1764, she went off into the most piercing shrieks, which culminated in violent apoplexy, and died in three days after disinheriting the Cantervilles, who were her nearest relations, and leaving all her money to her London apothecary. At the last moment, however, his terror of the twins prevented his leaving his room, and the little duke slept in peace under the great feathered canopy in the royal bedchamber and dreamt of Virginia. That was Chapter 4 of Oscar Wilde's The Canterville Ghost. Those twins, they're terribly sneaky, aren't they? They do like to cause problems for the ghost. And I, I will say, the chapter does end quite abruptly, which you might have been able to hear from the tone of my voice. I was not expecting, my darlings. But it's very exciting all the same. I love the Otis family. I think they're terrible fun. And also, all these amazing characters that the ghost comes up to play. There's something terribly theatrical about him, isn't there? Well, I hope you are also enjoying it. We'll be taking a break from the Canterville Ghost next week's episode because we're going to get terribly festive. You see, because it will be Christmas Eve, maybe even Christmas Day when you listen. And I know that you all love Christmas things because my Christmas episode from last week is being downloaded like Billio this week. Uh, many, many, many 
people are downloading it every single day. So, uh, also, why don't you go and check it out if you've not downloaded it? It's Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and it's one of my very first stories with songs. I think it's... Oh, no, I, I don't think I use songs in this one. Anyway, there's a special interview. Gosh, I'm very good at this podcasting malarkey, aren't I? My goodness, anyone would think I was a professional broadcaster. Now, time for the Book of the Week. Now, this week's Book of the Week is Gender Swapped Fairy Tales by Carrie Franzman and Jonathan Plackett. It is published by... Wouldn't it be delightful if I could tell you... I can't find the information now. Oh, no. I'm looking at... Oh, here we are. Faber and Faber. Well, there we go. We trust Faber and Faber, don't we? They publish wonderful books. And now, I've not read this book, but it is being recommended quite regularly by a bookshop that I trust implicitly, which is Pickled Pepper Books in Crouch End. Some of you may well know that I have performed there a few times. And I think this book is a very interesting concept, because whether you're hearing fairy tales for the first time, or you're hearing them for the umpteenth time, or you're going to the pantomime and seeing them, or something like that, you will potentially become aware that fairy tales do tend to present the uh, people who present as male in a hero uh, light, so they're very heroic, they quite often save the day, they're considered much stronger than the princesses, and princesses are often deemed to be weak and needing saving. But as we know already, and in fact we've known it for centuries, millennia even, that um, men, women, non-binary people, and, and people who identify in many different ways, are all as strong as each other. And our strengths are, appear in different ways. Um, some things we're good at and not as good at as each other. But there's no reason that we should continue to perpetuate this narrative of men just being stronger than women. It's, um, it's very damaging and it's, it's left a lot of damage on our society. We still see it now. And, uh, of course, history has damaged a lot of things. Uh, race uh, relations, uh, racism quite often comes from historical problems and people just don't understand that, that somebody had an idea once that black people weren't as good as white people and because that led to white culture having some sort of power over black culture we're in all sorts of pickles now in this present day and some people still believe that black people aren't as good as white people and that women aren't as strong as men oh and it's it's a mess we're all wonderful we're all fabulous so I think a book like this that um, explores gender-swapping fairy tales is, is very exciting because it allows everyone to reframe and restructure how they view their world, the world that they live in, because it's very hard to understand, but we are very heavily influenced by books we read as children and the stories we hear as children. And so if you think Cinderella changes herself to become 
uh, uh, a princess, she has to change herself to get the attention of a prince. And only after she's been a princess and then goes back to normal does the prince understand that she's beautiful the way she is. I mean, that's crazy, as we know now. I mean, sure, Kate Middleton had a lot of money, but she wasn't a princess until Prince William fell in love with her. And Meghan Markle was an, an actress. Oh, gosh, I'm, I'm very much on my soapbox. So anyway, what I'm saying is, I think this book is very important, and it's had wonderful reviews. It seems very popular on all the websites where you buy the books, and the illustrations are gorgeous. So I'm going to stop right here before I get too passionate, and I'm going to tell you that Gender Swapped Fairy Tales by Carrie Franzman and, oh, I've forgotten the name of the, the other person, Jonathan Plackett, published by Faber and Faber, is my book of the week. Well, here we are, my darlings, at the end of another story time with Mamma G. Now, we are... It's almost Christmas, which means it's almost 2021, and it's been a weird old year, hasn't it? But thank you for being there with me, sticking by me. It's been absolutely marvellous to share this adventure with you, and what an adventurous year it's been. Now, don't forget you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search for at Stories. And all of the things that I was doing at the end of the year where you could come and see me, well, they've all gone slightly awry due to COVID still being very much a presence in Britain at the moment. Of course, you might be listening from somewhere else, in which case you wouldn't have been able to see me. So in some senses, COVID has helped you because uh, I was doing pantomime at the Woodville in Gravesend, which unfortunately has had to be cancelled. But the good news is that we filmed it. So if you would like to see me in pantomime and you would like to maybe even find out what a pantomime is, then head to woodville.co.uk and buy yourself a download of the filmed version of Rapunzel in which I am playing Dame Dolly Dumpling. Now, it's only available until the 3rd of January, which is when the pantomime would have closed. So do get involved in that. And then Eunice, a musical based on my story, Eunice the Horse, is still happening at the Stanley Halls. However, we cannot have a live in-person audience so what we're doing, so that nobody misses out, is we are taking it to Zoom, which fantastically means that people from all over the world can get onto Zoom and watch with us. Now, what you need to do in order to do that is go to stanleyhalls.org.uk slash boxoffice and choose which performance you would like to see and buy a ticket and you will be sent the Zoom link. Now, you will be seeing an actual live performance, so you do have to watch at the time the performance is exactly as you would uh, if you were coming to the theatre. So do check, if you are an international listener, do check at what time uh, you will need to watch in your country because obviously the times you'll see advertised on the website are in GMT, which is Greenwich Mean Time, so the time here in the UK. And performances are available between the 19th and the 27th of December. So do get yourselves involved in that. If you love the story of Eunice the Horse, I can absolutely guarantee you 100% that you are going to love Eunice, a musical. And what else do I have to tell you? Oh, still on Glitterbeam Radio every Sunday at 1pm. Do make sure you join me. And I will see you all next week on Christmas Eve. 
for some very special Christmas stories and maybe even another special Christmas interview. Bye. It's story time with Mama G. Come and hear a story with me. Love who you want to be, who you are. Learn these lessons and we'll go far. It's story time. Story time.